Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. Amen. I would invite you to open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 13. And as you do, I will give you a, an invitation in a couple of weeks. First of September, we're going to begin a brand new study through the Gospel of John. It's the greatest book in the Bible, just so you'll know. All right. In fact, it doesn't matter where you are in relationship to God through his word. If you're a novice or if you're a theologian, John is for you. When somebody gets saved and they say, hey, where do I begin reading the Bible? I say, you go to the Gospel of John. Because if you can get that, just begin to grab a few jewels out of that book, it'll change your journey. If people are seasoned and they say, hey, I'm finally getting ready to dive into God's Word, where do I go? I say, John. Theologians in the past have said that the Gospel of John, the Gospel according to John, is deep enough to drown an elephant and shallow enough for a baby to, to play in and never swallow a drop. And that's how good, that's how rich it is. And that begins the first Sunday of September. I want you to mark your calendars. I want you to be a part of it. It's going to last for a while, but it's going to be good. How do I know? Because it's good. That's how I know. All right? I've been studying. I've prepared. I don't even have the first chapter prepared, and I'm already on fire with what God is revealing. So if I'm excited, <laughs> you're going to be excited because it's contagious. Amen? Amen. All right, in Nehemiah chapter 13, let me tell you what's going on. Uh, Nehemiah has been a part of this great building program uh, where uh, Israel was in, in under devastation. And the walls were down, the gates were burned, and God burns in his heart a vision, a mission to go rebuild it. He, he sees God do miraculous, epic things in their life. And, and this wall is up, man, and they celebrate chapter 10. Uh, they, they establish a covenant in writing with God. This is who we're going to be. We're nailing this thing down. We're moving forward and we're not going back. And then he goes on and he says, okay, everybody's excited. What are we going to do? We're going to throw a party. All right, so this big party takes place, chapter 11, chapter 12, and they celebrate all of the goodness that God had done. You see, in Nehemiah 2, Nehemiah had told them, the good hand of our Father is upon us. And let me just remind you, that's the place you want to hang out. You want to run around under the umbrella protection of blessing of the good hand of our Father, and that's where they were. But something happens. You see, the narrative, Nehemiah, would have been better to stop in 10, 11, and 12. But there's the dreaded chapter 13. And what we said last week, beginning this part of closing the book of Nehemiah, you don't want to land in chapter 13. Tell your neighbor, stay away from 13. Tell your neighbor, it's not a good place to be. So what happens, we all have had a, a believer, those that are born again, sealed with the Holy Spirit, washed in the sacrifice of Jesus, those of us that are believers adopted into the kingdom, we've had a moment or moments in time where it was good to walk with God, where he was just like on us. He was just like there, and it feels good. And, and, and in that moment, we, we thought, man, this, this feels good, and it's okay. And I don't want to go back to where I was because that was like miserable. And I walked in a season of miserable apathy and lukewarm Christianity, and it ain't fun. 
It's defeated. And that's not what Jesus died and rose again for us to experience. Uh, in the early service, I had, a, I had a, a young lady that's been joining our church and visiting our church, and she said, do you know who Dennis Swanberg is? Anybody know who Dennis Swanberg is? He's a Christian comedian. And he said, you remind me of him. If that's all she gets out of my preaching up here is a Christian comedian. You know what I told her? I said, I'm glad you picked that up. Because I believe with all that's in me, we should be happy as believers. We should be happy because we got an amazing hope found in Jesus. And so sometimes we need to look in the mirror and remind our face to demonstrate what our heart should have in it. And that is joy. Amen? That's pitiful. All right, now. Now, so, so what happens, Nehemiah moves away, and they're doing good. They throw a party. He leaves like he told the king he would. He said, I'm coming back. And, and he gets back, and while he's gone, they go right back to the place where they came from. They, they start doing what they used to do. It's like, it's like it just changed on the surface. And so he comes back, and what he finds, he's not impressed with. And, and so I want you to know, why do I preach what I preach? Why do I preach with conviction and passion? Why do I raise the bar for us as followers of Jesus? Because it's all too easy to look like the rest of the world and claim Christianity. And if you agree that a lot of the Christians you know look more like the world than they do Jesus, shake your head like this. Yeah, you know them. If you've looked in the mirror sometimes and that describes you, shake your head. Okay, honesty is good. Confession, good for the soul. Okay, that's not who we want to be. And so I have to challenge you because I'm challenged. Every week I want you to know I'm called to lead, to shepherd, to pastor a church. I didn't ask for it. I didn't jockey for it. God called me and said, you're going to do this? I said, okay. And so he has placed this on me. And so I, I, I want to lead you to a place better than where you came from because that's where I'm going because that's where Jesus is leading us. I got a word for the men this morning. This has been on my heart all week. Men in church, listen to me. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you personally, men, to, to champion leadership, Christian leadership in your family. Why? Because God requires it. You see, men, God holds you personally responsible for your family. Now, ladies, that's not a knock on you. He, he, you, all, you all do it right more than the men do. Men, rise to the occasion. Rise to the occasion and be the men that God wants you to be because through you, God will touch your family. And through you, God will impact your world. It's men, we need, we need to step up to the plate and be who it is that God has called us to be. Well, we're going to look into number 13 today because I don't, uh, we're going to dive into it because I don't want to be there. And I don't want this church to ever go back to that place. And the title of the message, just like last week, is Deja Vu, okay? I've seen this before. Tell your neighbor, I've seen this before. Yeah, and some of it ain't too good to look at. Now, the first point on the back of your worship guide we covered last week. We'll get a couple more today. The first one is authority. Now, I brought with me representative of authority, my badge. This is a badge right here. Some of y'all cringed when I got this out of my pocket. Oh, the popo's here. Okay, they found me. All right? You, you know, you know you, you don't like authority. I'm a fan a huge fan of police officers and our military. I see them all the time at Oscars. They hang out over and I get to tell them, man, I appreciate what you do. I'm, I'm serious. Now, I appreciate when they do it to other people more than I do when they apply their authority to me. Because why? Because all of us have this thing where we don't really uh, want authority. We, we disregard the value of authority. 
And some of y'all are thinking, well, that's not necessarily true. I, I don't disregard the authority. Yes, you do. Let me tell you, I know. Because when you're on the interstate and a police officer passes you, the foot comes off the gas and hits, taps the brake. Guilty as you know. Unless you're like Kendra. When it, speed, when it says speed limit 70, I think that's the lower limit. I think it's supposed to be a range, and they've given us the lower limit. Okay? I drive a little over 70 sometimes if it's 70. If it's 55, I go a little over 55. If it's 70, my wife does 63. That's why I seldom ride in a passenger seat. Drives me nuts. She can be doing 63. A police officer pass on the other side. You know what she does? Foot off the gas, tapping the brake. I don't know. She's got a guilty conscience. I don't know what it is, okay? She thinks they're going to jump the curb and nail her, all right? We all have this thing where we disregard uh, authority. We just don't like it in our life, and your pastor's no different. You don't like spiritual authority. You don't like when the preacher says stuff that you disagree with. You know you don't like it. Just own it. I don't like it when I read it myself, but I don't pick uh, what the truth is. The truth is found in this book, and authority is a is given by God to help us monitor under the guidelines of truth. Because why? Because it's this simple. What is not inspected cannot be expected, right? So if on the interstate it says speed limit 70 miles an hour and they never inspect it, they can never expect you and me to do the speed limit. The same with God's eternal counsel. What, what is not inspected can't be inspected. It's why it's important that, you, that you're in church on Sundays. It's why import, it's important that you're studying God's Word. Because God's Word is the truth that inspects your life. And the reason He and, and, and it wants to inspect your life is because He has an expectation of your life. Okay? That's it. And, and so I heard this art, I heard, watched this uh, speech by Oprah Winfrey, one of the most powerful women voices in the world. And this is what she said. She said, the, the greatest thing you'll ever do in your life is to share your truth. Can I be real honest? That's a lie straight out of hell. Okay? Some of y'all, oh, it is. It doesn't matter what your truth is. Unless your truth is this truth, your truth is not truth. Amen, Brother Joel. All right? This is the truth. The greatest thing you'll ever do, Oprah Winfrey, in this life is to share not your truth, but his truth. Because this defines what truth is. So when we place ourselves under the authority of God's word, it changes our lives. It begins to conform us into Jesus Christ and who he is. You see, why is this important? Because it tells us the truth. And we don't write our own. We like to define who we are, whether we're good or bad or indifferent, by our own ideas. We think character is who we think we should be. Character is who you are when there's nobody looking but God. Character is who you are when there's nobody looking but God. And he's watching your heartbeat. He's watching your breathing patterns. He's watching where your feet go and what your hands turn to. He knows. And so we're supposed to be model citizens simply because God has placed us under the authority of his word. Number two, and this is where we begin, community. The second reason that we drift back and go to the place where we came from, not the place we want to go, not the place God wants to take us, is because we get our community confused. We, we, we allow our community to be messed up. Listen to this. Verse 7 of Nehemiah 13 says, Then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah by supplying him with a storeroom in the courts of the temple of God. 
And I was very upset, and I threw all of Tobiah's household possessions out of the storeroom. Then I gave instructions that the storeroom uh, should be purified, and I brought back the equipment of the temple of God along with the grain offering and the incense. So here's what happens. Uh, Tobiah was a representation of evil. Nehemiah was a representation of good. Nehemiah came in and he began to do this mighty thing that God wanted him to do, restoring the temple, restoring the walls and the gates. And meanwhile, the enemy was attacking. All the while, man, he's trying to undermine what Tobiah is seeing God accomplish. I mean, he's just gnawing at him. He's just, man, he's just all all the time at him trying to destroy what God's wanting to do. Nehemiah recognized Tobiah. He didn't have anything to do with him. He says, you just, I'm keeping my distance from you. I'm keeping my distance from you. Meanwhile, Eliashib, the, the priest says, he, you know, he wants to be politically correct. Oh, Tobiah, look, let's come, bring it in. Let's get a hug. I mean, I got a place for you. Clean out that storage room of the stuff that God has in here. This place needs, this guy needs a place to stay. So we're going to take out the, the things of God and we're going to let in the things of the devil. And that's what happens in our community, in our circle. In our family, in our homes, in our, uh, in our school, the, the, the place where we are. If we're not careful, man, our community gets really, really corrupted. And so I like what Nehemiah does. He comes in and he sees that the community is, uh, has been infiltrated by the enemy. He recognizes the things in his community that are not good. And he gets his scissors out and he starts cleaning up the circle. Now, I used this as an illustration the other day that all of us have a circle, okay? You know you got a circle. I learned this when I was in college in psychology class. I didn't know it before, but as soon as they told me, that's what that is. You know what I'm talking about. There's people who have a great big circle, comfort circle. You know, you go walking up, hey, how you doing? You stick your hand out, you're still four feet away, and they're backing up like you got the plague. Anybody know anybody like that? And then there's some people, they don't even have a circle. They'll get right up in your business. You can feel them breathe. Hey, Joel, what's going on? They're right up in my face. I can get back, you know. Anybody know anybody that doesn't have a circle? And they'll get up in your business. Am I the only one? If you have somebody with no circle that gets in your business, say, yes, I do. Thank you. I thought I was the only one there for just a minute, okay? So everybody has a circle. And, and, and I want you to know that God says you need, to, you need to trim your circle. He says that you're supposed to love everybody, right? You're supposed to love even your enemy, You're not supposed to shack up with your enemy. You're not supposed to embrace and give a hug to the enemy. You're not supposed to to expose your life to the enemy or your family and your home to the enemy. You're just supposed to love the enemy. You know what that means? You wish they weren't your enemy. You wish they would allow God to do something in your life. And you're going to love them. You're going to pray for them. But you're going to do it at a distance. You're going to send them a text. Hey, man, praying for you. Can I come see you? No. Hey, man, I love you. I've been praying for you. I've been thinking about you. Hey, man, you want to go with me do this thing this weekend that you know you ain't supposed to do? Nope. You just love them at a distance. you got to clean up your circle. Here's what it looks like. Hot air balloon. Hot air balloon has so much volume of helium or whatever gas in it to lift a certain amount of weight. And if you exceed that amount of weight, it never lifts off the ground. And so what you have to start doing is you you have to start removing weight so the balloon will soar and lift you up. It's the same with our community in our life. Some of us have a community, man, that's like sandbags. Anybody got any friends that are like a sandbag? Okay. You don't have to name them. Okay. You don't have to look at your spouse. Okay. We all have sandbags in our community, and we just need to trim them, man. Just let them fall aside. Love them. Man, I love you. Bye. Okay. That's what, that's what Nehemiah did. He came in. He said, whose junk is this? 
Get this junk out of here. It says he started throwing it out. Now, that's not politically correct. That's like, that's a racial statement. It's a racial problem, okay? No, it's not racial. It's not political. It's the difference between right and wrong. And right is right and wrong is wrong. And when it aligns itself with this, it's always that case. And if it was wrong yesterday, according to God's word, it's still wrong today, okay? It's just about that simple. And so what happens is he, he goes in and he cleans it up and he says, this stuff has got to go. And by the way, whose stuff is this? Tobiah? Oh, yeah, you got to go too. And so he kicks Tobiah out. He removes all of the stuff. And he says, he says now, this is interesting, he says, we need to purify this room. Purify this room. The Hebrew words suggest to fumigate. I just think that's kind of interesting. He says, listen, the devil was in here where God's stuff was supposed to be, and it reeks in here with the stench of nasty. So we need to fumigate this thing. We're not putting God's instruments in this place where Tobiah the devil's been hanging out. We're going to clean this place up because this was supposed to be set apart. This was supposed to be uh, God's place. And so they fumigate the room before he ever puts his stuff in there. I, I think it's interesting. When he walked in, he realized the thing that was in his community that was not godly, he didn't call for legal counsel. He didn't call the police. He didn't put a committee together. He didn't have to go pray about it. He said, this is wrong. It's got to go. I just, I just kind of like that. I, I just, I, the boldness of that, I just like. And that's the way we need to do in our families. We need to look around and say, that all that garbage on that infinity package that I'm paying $482 for every month, it's got a whole lot of devil in it. I need to cut that out. Okay, now you say, well, that's kind of legalistic. No, it's not. I don't care if you do or not. I'm saying we need to trim some stuff from our circle. All right? When we look at the people we run with, if there's people doing more damage to us and our family and our relationship and our walk with God than they're doing good, we need to clip them strings. We need to move them aside. We need to look at our life like Nehemiah did as the leader of Israel and say, this has to go because this is not best for my walk with God. You see, there's people in our world that have these ideas, philosophies, and even sometimes, quote, theologies, not built or based on anything in this book, and they want to throw them at us as if it's gospel truth. And if you're not careful, and if you're not aware of what truth really is, we become a little bit gullible, and we embrace it as true. And then all of a sudden, we end up someplace we never intended to go. So we need to be very careful about our community. Number three, generosity. The third thing that moves us away from where God wants us to be is when we stop being generous uh, with what God has given us, and we start hoarding and getting the attitude of it's all about me. Listen what it says in verse 10. It says, I also discovered, you see, he's on the prowl. He's checking it out. He says, I also discovered that the grain offerings for the Levites had not been provided, and that as a result, as a result, the Levites and the singers who performed his work had all gone off into the fields. So I registered a complaint with the leaders asking, oh, why is the temple of God neglected? Then I gathered them and I reassigned them to their positions. Then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil to the storerooms. And I gave instructions that Shelemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe and a certain Levite named Pedaiah be put in charge of the storerooms. 
and that Hanan, son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, be the assistant. For they were regarded as trustworthy. And it was then their responsibility to oversee the distribution to their colleagues. Please remember me for this, O my Lord, O my God, and do not wipe out the kindness that I have done for the temple of my God and for its services. Now, he says, just God, he prays when he says that, he prays and he says, remember me. Why? Because he was talking about the people's money. And when preachers talk about people's money, man, they get puckered up, nervous, upset, mad. He ain't talking about money again. That's what they do. And so they did it then 2,500 years ago. They did the same thing. So Nehemiah says, by the way, God, remember me during this thing because I'm doing this for the good of the temple. Okay? And when I talk about money, I don't talk about it a lot. But when I talk about it, it's because it needs to be talked about. Amen? Amen, Brother Joel. And if you go to church and the preacher never talks about money, you're not in a good church. Because that preacher probably has, is not a steward of what God has given him. He's probably not a giver either. And he's robbing you of a blessing. I'm telling you. I, I'm telling you the truth. So here's what Nehemiah says. He comes in he says, y'all had not been given. I've been gone just a little while. Y'all stopped giving to the temple. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. So let's, let's, let's just get back to ground zero. Everybody just get caught up to you giving. And I'm going to put some people in charge. And they're going to enforce giving. Now we don't enforce giving. We pass a plate around. Some of y'all feel like that's a little bit forced. Why do they have to pass that plate? You know, man, it's up all in my face. They want my money. Okay? But listen to me. The Lord does not need your money. Okay? But the Lord desires your heart. You know what the Bible says about money? He says the love of money is the root of all evil. That's what, that's what it says. So God says, listen, the reason I talk more about material possessions than I do faith and prayer in all of God's word it's not because I want your material possessions, <laughs> because he says they're mine anyway. What he's saying is, if I can get you to love me more than your money, I'll have your heart. Why? Listen to me. Because your money chases your heart. What you love, the money goes there. I'm, let me just get personal. Let me step on some boat. If you love a wakeboard boat, your money goes there. I've, I've had a wakeboard boat. Your money goes there. When you buy it, every time you take it out, the money goes with it. You put some tubes and some wakeboarders back there, every two hours you're going in putting $100 worth of fuel in it. You know I'm telling the truth. It's just the truth. All right? If your uh, money likes fancy vehicles, every time you turn around, man, you're looking, never satisfied with the vehicle you have, always looking at another vehicle. I've been there too. I can say this, Okay? Uh, what else? Uh, sports, man. I'm chasing sports. I'm amazed how many parents spend more on getting their kids uh, trained to possibly get a scholarship than they would if they just saved up the money and paid for their education. Crickets. Not an amen in the house. You know it's true. Okay, I can say that. I'm the preacher. Okay? Now, now, what is that? God is interested in our heart, and he knows if he has our money, he has our heart. What does that look like in our church? Beautiful. We've got a lot of people who are givers. They let go of the resources that God has given them. They're a channel of blessing. Other people just now diving in. Other people, nah, they're not there yet. That's okay. In the last few weeks, our offerings have been enormous. 62000 a couple weeks ago. Last week, 32000 Had a, Had somebody come and want to do a matching of 15000 toward the building fund, which we're getting very close to getting his money. I like that. Uh, and so... All of this, all of this is, is what we have to, how we have to be postured for God to continue to have his ha good hand of blessing upon us. 
Now, are you ready for one of the best stories about giving I've ever heard in my life? Y'all ready? Okay. You need to be ready. This is so good. So we have a young couple in our church. Uh, amazing. I love them to death. And I'm doing their marriage counseling. I'm going to marry them in October. And, man, that's awesome. Both of them are kind of chasing after God, and God's doing cool things in their life. And, man, it just warms my heart. I was, they're just awesome. They're rock stars. Okay. And so, uh, so a couple weeks ago, we were in counseling, and, and she says to him, she says, you going to tell him about the offering? And he goes, I don't know. She says, you need to tell him. You can tell him anything. He said, okay, I'll tell you. I said, what's the story? He goes, well, last week, uh, you know, you baptized her. I don't know tell her names. I said, you baptized her, and uh, while you were baptizing her, she went to change, and you called the ushers up there and uh, started the offering. I said, yeah. And so he said, you know, she takes care of our money. She's going to take care of our money. I love that. They're just owning who's gifted at what. He said, yeah, she's going to take care of our money. She said, yeah, I'm going to take care of the money. You start taking up the offering. I'd never give the offering. She gives the offering. She's back there changing, and here comes the guy with the plate. He said, so now I'm thinking, surely she's going to come out of here in a second. She didn't come. She's a no-show. All right? Offering plates getting closer and closer. He said, now it's on my row. He said, she's not here. Where's she at? He said, I'll pull my wallet out. Think what I'm going to do. He had $15. He's took it out and threw it in the plate and sent it on. I love it. I love it. Just open up the wallet, give all you have. I love that. Okay? Then she shows up. He's like, what took you so long? She said, I had to change clothes. He said, she said, why? They already did the offering. I didn't know what to do. She said, what'd you do? She said, I took my wallet out and emptied it, put $15 in the offering plate. She said, great job. That's perfect. That's perfect. He said, all right. So that afternoon, his papa calls him. His papa says, hey, man, you want to go to Get and Go, get some hot dogs? I love that, too, because I love hot dogs at Get and Go. He says, yeah, I'll go get some hot dogs. His papa took him up there. He's paying for the hot dogs. He said, hey, let me have two of those uh, lotto tickets. He takes the lotto tickets. He handed him a lotto ticket. He said, here, this is yours. Scratch it off. He scratched it off. Guess what? Winner, winner, chicken dinner, $15. Yeah. And you know what some of y'all are thinking right now? You're telling a story about the devil's money? Listen to me. It was the devil's money. The Lord gave it back to somebody who gave to the church. Others of you are saying this. That's just a coincidence. I got a list of coincidences two arms long. Okay? And if you want to live in the world of coincidence, fine. The rest of us are going to move forward and watch God do supernatural, sometimes goofy things in response to our willingness to let go of our resources from where they came. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go buy no lottery ticket. I picked this up on the ground at the get-and-go this morning. Okay? I've, I have never bought a lottery ticket in my life. In fact, if you've been buying lottery tickets for a long time, I sent two girls to college. Thank you for helping out. Okay? That's the devil's money. It was the devil's money. It educated Christian girls. There you go. Thank you. Now, now, I don't know where I'm going from there. Uh, oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so it's important that we begin to understand the reality. God is real, man. He's alive. He watches your life. He offers you a new life. He sent himself. That's what we'll learn in John. Jesus is God. Mormons don't like that. Jehovah's Witnesses don't like that. Listen to me. I'll say it again because you need to buy into this. You need to grasp the reality that Jesus is God. 
And we'll learn that in John. That same Jesus who is God came to this earth, died on a cross for your sin to pay your debt, to rescue you from you. And when he does, he wants to come in and change every part of your life. He wants to change your heart. He wants to change your love relationship with your spouse. He wants to change your love with your family. He wants to change your ability on your job. He wants to change your finances. When he comes in and gives you new birth, it is a radical change. He wants to change every part of you but what we do sometimes is that we hold back and so I'm gonna let you have this and I'm not gonna let you have this I'm gonna let you have this but I got this anything you hold on to will never be what it could be if you just let go of it my goodness that's good anything you hold on to will never be as good as it will be if you let go and let God have it a contemporary meaning somebody who was around when Nehemiah was writing this book Nehemiah 2500 years ago there's a prophet shows up. His name is Malachi. Strangely enough, Malachi speaks into these people with the same truth that Nehemiah is speaking, the same truth that your pastor's talking about. Listen to what it says in Malachi 3, verse 8. Can a person rob God? It's a good question. And then he answers his question. He says, you indeed are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? And then he answers again. He said, in tithes and contributions, you are bound for judgment because you are robbing me. This whole nation is guilty. Now, you think I preach hard, okay? I mean, he calls them out, all y'all, every last one of y'all, pitiful, okay, guilty. You're under judgment because you've been robbing God. He goes on, he says, verse 10, so here's what I want you to do. He's going to give them a prescription now. He says, I want you to bring the entire tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my temple. And then he says this, I want you to know, never in God's word does this show up again. He says it right here regarding our resources. He says, test me in this matter, says the Lord who rules over all. He says, to see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until there's no room for it all. Then I, will, I won't just stop with the money. He says, then I will stop the plague from ruining your crops. The vine will not lose its fruit before the harvest, says the Lord who rules over all. All nations will call you happy, for you indeed will live in a delightful land, says the Lord who rules over all. That's, that's powerfully good stuff. That's sweetness. That, that's the honeycomb stuff that God says, listen, if you, you, you tell me I have your soul just let go of everything else. If you trust me with your soul and you believe I've been 2,000 years building you a heaven, then trust me with everything else and you'll be amazed what I do because I'm God and I'm a good God and I've done everything. I've given everything to you so that you can be delivered from everything that you're not. And he says, if you'll just give it to me, I'll make something beautiful and special out of it. He says, I'll throw open the windows. It's not trickle-down economics. And I'm going to throw the windows open. I'm going to pour it out like a pitcher, and there's not going to be any room for it. And he's doing that in people's lives right now. For those that are pursuing him in this area, he does that, and he's not a respecter of persons. He'll change your life too. You see, a faith that's not been tested is a faith that can't be trusted. And this is one of those areas that he says, test me. It's like, almost like he's saying, I dare you to test me on this and see what I do. 
Now, why is all this even remotely important? Why does it matter that we come on Sundays and the preacher gets up there and he chooses a book and he begins to preach through a book and he gets to Nehemiah 13 and he calls the church to a different place and he challenges people to to clean up their community, trim their circle, give their money, all of that. Why does he do that? Okay, because it matters. Why does it matter? This week in particular, I want you to understand why it matters. Because on Monday of this week, I got a phone call and the phone call was like, a text, excuse me, they said, you may, you may need to go to this home because her husband just passed away suddenly. That's how you start a month. You, thought you, get, you think you have good bad Mondays, okay? I went over to her house. Chaplain was there with the, with the county, and he said, just so you know what you'll find, he passed away in the kitchen floor. She's in the kitchen floor with him, and I uh, just didn't want you to be alarmed. And so they didn't cover this in seminary. I never saw a chapter what to do when somebody passes out, passes away in the kitchen floor. So I walked in there, couldn't see them. She's in the kitchen, walked around the island, and there's her husband, and there she is, brokenhearted because she just lost her husband of, I think it was 49 years for them. What, what, what do you do? I got down on the floor, started patting her and loving on her and encouraging her, got her away from him, and we went out and spent some time. I buried him uh, on we buried him on uh, Thursday. I think that's right. And uh, on that same day, at about 10 minutes till 4, my father-in-law passed away. Zeke, that's what I call him. 86 years old. Been married to my mother-in-law for 62 years. Okay? And he passed away. Life is futile. There's brevity to this thing, man. It don't last forever. You got one shot at it. That's why it's important. But listen to the beauty of God. During the same week, right between these two situations where God had on his timeline an appointment to call people home, uh, I thought of somebody who was pregnant. And I sent a text. I said, hey, when's your baby due? (laughs) He said about 15 minutes ago. And I said, awesome. So I went down there, and there's a beautiful little girl. Eight pounds, two ounces, 21 inches long. Beautiful little girl. So here it is. In just a couple of days, God shows me. He shows me two lives lived well. One life yet to be lived. And what does that mean for you and for me? You're somewhere in between. You're here, but you're not going to be here forever. And as your pastor, as your shepherd, as your preacher, as your friend, I just want to encourage you not to do what I say. Do what this book says and experience everything that God has for you. Not the preacher, not the church, but what God has for you. It's so much bigger than what I can offer you, okay? And and you won't be disappointed. You will never be disappointed in God because he cannot disappoint. It is not in his DNA if he has that, okay? It's not in him to disappoint. And so he'll bless you, but you have to be willing to give yourself to him. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want you to know today that the God that I preach about, the Jesus that I champion, is desperately, madly, 
passionately in love with you. You. Right where you are, he loves you. You can't start doing something, changing yourself so he will love you more. He already loves you more. He already loves you as much as he can. Before you ever got here, he knew you and he loved you. And he came to this earth and he died to pay your sin debt upon a cross. And many of us would claim that we're Christians. But there's others who have never given yourself to Jesus. You've never simply said, Jesus Thank you for dying on a cross for me. I want you to come into my life and save me right now. I believe that your sacrifice on a cross was perfect. It was complete. I believe that you not only want to save me forever, you want to be my Lord forever. And so I surrender to you. I don't want you to just to save me. I want you to be my champion. I want you to be my Lord, my master, my boss, my king from this day forward. So this is my prayer. God, I know I'm a sinner and I deserve nothing good from you because you're perfect. But you have chosen to love somebody like me more than just words. You did it and you showed it. You proved it on a cross. You rose again on the third day. I want that sacrifice, that grace gift applied to my life. I want to experience what life really is in you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving somebody like me on this day. Help me live for you, filled with your spirit from this day forward. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name.